Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirk Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in to the inaugural episode, the maiden voyage of the Grip City Golf Podcast. I am Andy Dirk Johnson. Most of you know me from uh, Dirt and Sprague, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. And joining me is my esteemed co-host, the mystery man himself, <laughs> who everybody's wanted to know the identity. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, Eric Peterson. Are we going to try to keep my identity <laughs> secret? I think we should. It might be kind of fun that way. You just kind of cover your face if we ever have to take a photo. You Most know. people don't know who I am or even want to know who I am, so maybe it'd be fun to keep that rolling. But well, let's get like the awkward. For it's like the first day at work when you got to play the uh, the get to know you game, like all that awkward crap that your bosses make you do. Let Let's get to know Eric Peterson because I think most listeners know about me a little bit. So uh, we'll get into him. Look, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a ton here about what the podcast is gonna sound like. Uh, we're gonna touch on a whole bunch of issues, but let's start with just your background in golf and and kind of how you fell in love with the sport, the places you've worked, and kind of what you're bringing to the table. Yeah man love it so for everyone out there um dirt and i are friends we've known each other for a while and um we were playing golf one time last summer and we kind of thought like hey let's let's do a podcast and at, at, when you first mentioned that i remember thinking well i'll help you do a podcast but i don't really know <laughs> what that even means i don't listen to podcasts that much myself much less actually be on one but um we kind of like kept talking about it and kudos to you dirt for sticking with it and sticking with me I come from a professional background in golf. Um, I grew up in Southeast Portland, grew up, uh, learned the game at East Moreland, played there as a kid, used to work there in high school. And then in, when I was in college at U of O, went back to help run the junior camp there. So that was my, like, that was my life was East Moreland golf course and um, went to college at U of O. And then after I graduated, I got an opportunity to move to Orlando to work at the golf channel as an event coordinator, um, helping run their junior golf skills challenge called drive chip and putt, which most people know of now is the one that's held the national championships is at Augusta national right on the 18th green. Yeah, yeah. Not as many people maybe nowadays know that that, that program, the format of it um, was originated by the golf channel. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. And you so never they, told me that story. They launched it back in the, I want to say mid nineties as a way at that point, the golf channel had just gotten off the ground. They needed a platform to get distribution, literally to get golf channel and more households in cities all across the United States they thought, what a great idea, but to bring a junior golf event into these local markets, into 100 plus cities across the country, and just show not only like what junior golf and how cool it is and how, um, how much of an impact it can have on junior golf and, and a community, but really it was a way for them to just sort of get the golf channel name out there. So I joined that team in, that was in uh, 2006. So it had been around for a little while, um, did that for two years, traveling to over a hundred cities across the country. That's so badass. Um, yeah, it was like it was like the coolest job that a kid out of college could ever have. It was the coolest job I'll ever have and will ever have <laughs> in my life. Um, Outside so, of being a podcast, yeah, exactly. One A, one B. Now, you know, I I made such little money doing that that the fact that we're making zero dollars doing this Feels a little it's, similar. It's huh? really yeah. similar. <laughs> so I did that for two years. Had a blast. Met so many cool people. And then stayed at the Golf Channel after that for uh, four more years, uh, doing a couple different jobs. I was in editorial. I used to be an editor for GolfChannel.com. 
Um, and then after that, I got into, into sales. So had about a seven-year run at the Golf Channel in Orlando. Thought I'd be there two years, was there seven. So for a Portland kid, that was a, a wild experience for me, right? Living so, in Florida. We'll save the Holly Saunders story. Maybe, oh, man. Maybe for the final episode. We'll get like season finale. We'll save <laughs> <Okay>. that one. <laughs> So yeah, that, that that was amazing. And then um, had the opportunity to actually move back to Portland, um, staying with the Golf Channel, still in a territory sales job, did that for a year, and then got a call from a friend of mine at Bandon Dunes, and they needed a new director of communications. And um, I had some editorial background, had some media relationships at that point. And so a lot of the boxes were checked from my end in terms of like, wow, it's 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 furthering my career, get, kind of getting out of sales and more into like media relations and marketing, which is what I really liked. And they needed someone to go to, to move to southern, the Southern Oregon coast, right? It's not easy to recruit down into that town. You got to go live in Bandit. Exactly. So I was still young enough that I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. So I w- moved down to, to um, Bandit and lived there for about a year and a half um, and was the director of communications there. Had such a blast. Met so many amazing people. Did some awesome stuff. And obviously you're representing Bandon Dune. So it wasn't hard for me to like explain why Bandon was so great, right? So I did that for a little bit and then um, just started talking to some guys at Nike Golf um, and got a job at back in Beaverton at Nike Golf and um, did that for a year and a half again. And I was actually part of the layoffs when they got out of the equipment business when that was a crazy wild day to be a part of. And um, I had only been there a year and a half. So I felt actually lucky that my roots weren't super deep there. You right. know, a lot of people had been there for 15, 20 years and they were impacted by that. So that was a really hard thing to be a part of but loved my experience there. And again, got to do some really cool stuff and furthered my career in, in, in the golf business. So um, from that, I sort of like did a couple of different things and now I'm in the insurance business. I'm, it's like the, the, my first gig out of the golf industry. And that's why when I talk with you about things like golf podcasts, it's like, yeah, like I'm I want to scratch my itch a little bit. <laughs> so it was, um, it was something that, that I really loved my opportunity to work in the golf industry. But as you've probably heard, a lot of people who work in the golf industry don't really want to play that much or don't get to play right. as much as you might think we do. So now that I'm out of it, but still kind of connected to it in ways like this and other ways, I keep in touch with some of my friends. Um, it's really awesome to be able to like be out of it, but still in it. So that's why doing something like this is, is, uh, so much fun for me to be a part of. Well, I remember the day fondly because I think it was the day you and I, we both went to Cleveland High School and we played go in Warriors. The, 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 go Warriors. We played in the Cleveland Alumni Tournament. And we have spent many, many an hour and uh, many a dollar over the years at the 19th hole at East Moreland. And I think that's where the conversation first started. We were sitting there putting some dollar bets down on, you know, left tee shots or right tee shots. And yep. we'll, we'll get to the 19th hole a little bit later. We'll see if anybody can top East Moreland. But I remember it because I've had this. This has been like a drunk idea of mine for like three years now. And every I'm always I love talking golf. I don't really have an outlet for it on the show outside of occasional big stories or majors. You throw it in sometimes, but I try and corkscrew it in. But you're always going to get the percentage that are like, dude, I don't want to hear about golf. Nobody talk about the Oregon Ducks backup left guard. I want to hear about that instead. And so I've always I always want to do more. And I always I love talking golf. And so thank you for kind of following through with this because I brought this up to buddies like the last three years and then after two months it kind of fizzles and nobody's yeah. ever really followed through and wanted to do it so like like most things right exactly you talk about an idea and it never you're at a bar happens. at one yeah. o'clock in the morning like dude I got a great idea yeah. and then next thing you know you forget about it so yeah. kudos to you for making me follow through with this and I'm psyched we're gonna have a ton of fun um, we're gonna do episodes uh, we're, we're shooting on every other week but just gonna kind of be flexible with the schedule yeah I will announce now and we'll remind you at the end of the episode our our first official episode this is episode zero the prequel 
Our first official episode will include Peter Jacobson, and we're fired up about that, and that'll be out the day the Masters uh, tees off on April, what is that, the 6th? 10th, or yes, 6th or 7th, something like that. We're dialed in with our schedule. I know the Thursday of the Masters, when you hear the music and you're watching it in the morning on ESPN+, Plus, the episode's going to be out that day. Uh, So we're we're psyched. Your background in golf is awesome. We, We famously used to give me all sorts of shit back in the day because we would play golf. And you worked at Bandon for a long time. Yeah. And I'm ashamed to admit as an Oregonian, it took me forever to get down to Bandon. Yeah. And every time we'd golf, you'd be like, dude, you got to get down there. You got to. And well, I'd say, and yeah, here I, I am. I it's like I was offering to like hook you up. You I mean, it were. wasn't like, dude, it's kind of expensive, but off season, the rates are a little lower. I was yeah. like, bro, just call me and I'll set it up. Right. I know people down there. And he's like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> I finally got down there, and then I ended up going like four times in the span of a year and a half because you just can't get enough of well, it you once got you get the down bug there. Now, yeah. Exactly. Once you get that edge. I still take credit for that, by the way. You do. You you launched my love of Bandon Dudes. <laughs> and every time I go down, I'll send you a picture and be like, hey, this is where I'm at right now. I love it. I love uh, it. So now that we kind of got that out of the way, people know who you are. Uh, hopefully the listeners, you listen to the radio show, you, you know who I am. Let's, let's do a little back and forth on – some of the things in our golf game. So we're not going to talk a lot on this podcast about our golf game, but I, we thought it would be fun to kind of let people know the kind of players we are, uh, you know, how often we play, the courses we like to play, all that kind of stuff. So I'll how, fire how it. bad we are. It, well, like you're not very bad. You're the guy. See, Eric said he grew up on East Moreland, and he's not lying. Eric's the guy that shows up at East Moreland, doesn't warm up, and like stripes nothing but forearms off the tee, like 220 well, yards right down the hit. middle, <laughs> and just hit. smokes it. Like I have learned over the years, I grew up playing East Moreland a lot, but I'm not from, I don't have East Moreland in my blood. I'm a Selwood Westmoreland kid. And when you play somebody on East Moreland that has East Moreland in their blood, you stand no chance. That's a fair point. No chance. And I've, de- I've definitely had my fair share of that too, like where you play someone who's like really good, who's like, you know, 55 or older and only hits at 220, but that's all you need to hit it straight, out there. So straight, straight. Definitely the course knowledge definitely helps at a place like East Moreland. No doubt. So let, let's let's do this. What What is your, your handicap, Eric uh, Peterson? Uh, my current handicap? Your current handicap. I, I think my USGA index, people, oh, maybe they're going to like double check us because you can just look this up. I think it's a 5.7 right okay. now. You want me to look you up? I got the app open. We don't need to do that right now. <laughs> you know, we don't want the official yeah, confirmation. People want to know. I'm pretty sure it's a 5.7. I think you are one of the golfers on my, like... Uh, Am I one of your favorites? You're one of my favorites. Oh, I got to keep... You're a 5.4. Okay, 5.4. You're close. 5.4. What's your all-time low? My my lowest just playing golf with friends was I shot 66 at Heron Lake's Greenback. Greenback. From the white tees, just okay. to caveat yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and... For those of you who know Heron Lakes, Greenback, it used to, the nines used to be switched back in, like, th- this was like, I think I was a senior in high school or maybe a freshman in college at that point, and it, I was just playing with friends during the summer, and the first hole back then, which is now the 10th, is a par five, dogleg right, pretty easy, gettable hole. All the holes on Greenback are gettable, but that one particularly, I, I mean, I, I remember this vividly. I hit a perfect tee shot right down the middle, had like a four iron in. You know, this is the first hole. I'm not thinking about shooting my best round ever. I, I hit it over the green, which, you know, just long is totally fine. But I, like, went way over for some reason. I don't know why I was jacked up. And I, I make bogey, which is so stupid on that <laughs> hole, especially right. what I had just done off the tee. 
So I bogeyed that hole. And then after that, I didn't make any bogeys and I made seven birdies and shot 66. That's a hell and, of a round. And after that, and I like made a sni- like a breaking like 12 footer on 18 to, for par to shoot 66. And I remember thinking like, maybe I should just quit now. <laughs> just walk away. <laughs> so that, that, that was pretty fun. That was my lowest round. You just, you know, playing with friends, my lowest round, like in an actual tournament where everything matters. Not that we weren't, you know, putting everything out on that day, but like sure. when it's a tournament, it's different. Was um, I shot seventy one at Eastmoreland in a, a PNGA tournament? It was the the uh, PNGA Pub Links. I think I was in college, like a junior in college. I shot seventy one, and I was leading the tournament. Actually, it was just a two day deal, and I didn't, you know, like I didn't play like AJGA tournaments. I didn't play in college, like right. So when I played in that tournament, it, you know, the PNGA is a pretty big organization. And the fact they were having a, a tournament at Eastmoreland, I thought that's pretty cool. And and a lot of people, like you were saying, like if you don't know Eastmoreland, you can shoot some high scores. And I knew that there were some good players playing in that. And um, the fact that I was winning after one day was pretty cool. And as as I'm saying this, everyone's thinking, okay, well, what'd you do on Sunday, the second day? <laughs> yeah, what happened? I shot 79, and I think I finished fourth or something Was this like the that. fame day when your brother ran in to grab a hot dog at the turn and you pulled out driver on 10? Yeah, uh... No, that was a different day. Okay, okay, was, a different tournament because yeah, I've heard that story before. Yeah. Your brother was caddying for you. He ran into the clubhouse. Yeah. You had a, you were playing well or had a lead, and for some reason you decided to pull driver out on ten. On ten, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, you don't want to hit driver there. You never want to hit driver on ten. Yeah. You, you sprayed a little right. You're hitting a car on by me, and I've yeah. seen that happen a few times. I don't, I don't think I hit a car, but I didn't hit it where I should have hit it. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it didn't so, end well. Driver never ends well at Eastmoreland. All right, so we know the home course is it still Eastmoreland it's to this day? Still Eastmoreland. Remember the men's club um absolutely love the course love the crew down there it's awesome okay uh what kind of what uh, what kind of equipment do you play with i'm playing callaway x12 irons um the driver you know we're in sort of a separated relationship right now okay seeing um, other people potentially yeah possibly um but that's a ping g400 which i think is the best driver that i that i need you know driver technology is a, a topic we could get into at some point i just think that it maxed out 10 years ago, but they still convince us to buy stuff. There's a new one coming out every year. Yeah. And I like, you know, the separation like there I'm having with my driver, it's not the manufacturer's fault. It's, yeah. my, it's probably my fault. So <laughs> that's my driver, Scotty Cameron, Newport, you and I t- have talked about Scotty cameras before. Oh yeah. Those are the best. Um, you know, that's pretty much my bag. The wedges are kind of Cleveland's one day, um, Callaway's the next. Mix but, them in and out every yeah. now and then. Uh, what, what are Eric Peterson's swing thoughts? Do you have swing thoughts? Like I have, I have fun swing thoughts of like, remember why you're here today, which is to have fun, you know? So I, I, I genuinely like try to remind myself of that when I have a bad hole or a bad shot. I'm like, remember why we're here today, right? Like, let's not take this too serious. So that is a, that's a swing thought, but kind of a fun one. Um, like a legitimate, like technical, and I don't get super into um, lessons and um, tech, technicalities and whatnot, but I do try to think about having a one-piece takeaway. I've, I tend to get kind of handsy on my first move, and so I just try to think about, you know, one-piece takeaway is my one swing. Okay, point. okay. I like the the happy thought, too, because I, I had somebody, I was playing a horrible round one time this last summer, and just kind of sulking in the cart, one of those, you know, like yeah. on 13, like, God, what am I doing? We've all been there. And he, he leaned to me and he, a, a buddy said, uh, you know, these are the days that we dream about all year. Seriously. And, and it, it always hits me because I'll get back into like, you know, you're in sept- once the end of September comes in October, November, you get into the dark months when you're not yeah. playing as much. And it's like, it is so spot on because I would kill, it was like an 88 degree day, perfect, yeah. not a cloud in the sky. It wasn't a super slow round. It's you're like drinking you, a cold beer. Exactly. Like yeah. you got good 
good music going. You're yeah. hanging out with buddies like that. Those are the days that you dream of. Yeah. And so I, that's the one that I try and stick with now. Amen. Uh, do you have an ace in your life? Do we have an ace in the I, history card? I've made two, actually. Ooh. My first was at Bandon Trails when I worked there on 17. And um, it's, I mean. 17, okay. Yeah, the pin was front left. And I think it was playing that day. Um, it was like 147. And I just hit a, there wasn't really any wind. We were playing early. And so it, the conditions were pretty benign. And I remember thinking it was between a, a nine and a wedge. And I just said, I'm just going to try to hit a wedge a little harder than I probably need to swing. And it just, it's funny, like holes in one, like, have you made one before? Uh, well, like, I have one, but I need to ask if it counts. Okay. Uh, well, teaser alert. We'll so get to I, that. yeah, yeah. We'll okay. get to my hole in one. So, you know, though, the feeling of like, like when you make it, it's kind of funny. It's like it, you hit a good shot, which we've all seen a good shot in the air, and you're Feels like you know, get close, and then all of a sudden that particular good shot just like disappears, right? So it was kind of funny. It's like I hadn't ever made one at that point, and I'd played golf my whole life, and right. here at 17 Abandoned Trails, it just like went up there, took one hop, and just disappeared. Like, and uh, wait, what? Did yeah, that just happen? It was it was crazy. What was the bar tab? Um. I don't remember. I was with I was I was working there at the time and I was hosting um some buddies and so there were just 3 of them and so they allowed me to kind of keep that part of it quiet. That's um, yeah. You know, <laughs> Just as keep this I, between us. Well, and I tried to kind of like milk the I'm an employee. I don't want to be causing a scene. And so I kind of used that to my advantage. Can't so go get I, blacked out at the bunker bar. I, yeah. Well, as an employee, I, I couldn't even drink alcohol on campus. Oh, on I didn't know that. Yeah. So but I mean, if you make a hole in one, it's about it's, you're getting it for everybody else, anyways. Very but true. Anyways, like um, I got out of that one pretty good. But um, but the so my second one was actually at Heron Lakes Great Blue, the uh, what is that sixth hole at um, Great Blue, six, seven, eight, or the fifth hole maybe. I forget. I should know. That one was just crazy story. Was the first round the I one had, that's kind of surrounded by bunkers a little bit. Yeah, and it's a two tiered green. You got two tier green. Tier, okay, tier. I know you're. Yep. Yeah, and the, and so this pin was on the lower tier. Was playing like one sixty five, I think, and I just hit an eight iron up there. And similar deal, like you know, pretty good shot in the air, and it just disappeared. You know, people listening right now who have made a hole in one, they're thinking probably the same thing that like holes in one are funny. Like they're they're kind of lucky. Yeah. They're they don't look like abnormal when the ball's in the air. You just kind of want it to get close, and then it disappears, and then you're like. What, now what do I do? Everybody kind of goes. Just kind of jump around. Do but the, the funny thing about thing. that one was that it was the first round I had played. It, it happened like two years after the one at the trails, and it was the first round I had played with my buddy Matt, who played with me at trails. Um, so like he was there for both of my aces. <laughs> both your witnesses. We hadn't played yeah. together in between that. <laughs> no, what? Yeah. So two rounds in a row with my buddy Matt. That's he saw me make a hole in one. And ever since then, that that one was probably five or six years ago. I don't think I've hit it inside of three feet since then. Dude, I would invite that guy golfing every time I play. I've tried. I He's thought a good that luck that charm. Would, yeah, it hasn't worked. Hasn't worked out since then. <laughs> I love too with the the hole in one stuff cracks me up. I got. Buddies who played for a long time, really good golfers, good handicap guys that have never had a hole in one, and it builds, man, it builds. And I, we were, I was golfing ironically with Sprague and another friend of mine who's uh, a good golfer, you know, five six handicap somewhere in there. One of the guys who's never had a hole in one, Sprague's, Sprague's now like a seventeen, but when he started golfing, it it was ugly, you know, a lot of one tens, one fifteens, one twenties. It happens. You got to work your way through it, and this was like. I mean, he hadn't golfed, I feel like, in forever. We dragged him out one morning, took him to Stone Creek, and literally the second hole, early morning round, hardly anybody out there, second hole, (laughs) low line drive, (laughs) one hop up, kind of catches a slope and rolls in. I think the pin was back left, and we just looked at each other like, did that just 
happen. Oh, man. And he is never, uh, the, the buddy of ours who's a good golfer, has always brings it up. Oh, like, sure. how is that possible? Where are the golf gods in that, that I have played all these rounds, all these low scores over the years, and here you are. I think Sprague went on to shoot a 109 that yeah. day, but second hole of the day, there's an ace on like that's, 170-yard par three, right? Well, and that's why I feel like holes in one are... 90% luck and people will say well I mean you still have to be good enough to hit it straight enough to like to go at the target that you're looking at and I still think because of stories like that because there's a lot of bad golfers sorry it's Bragg, but or not as good golfers <laughs> sure sure that have made one or multiple I have friends that are like kind of at that similar ability that have made multiple um, or you've got really good players who have never made one so that it, it wears on you if you don't make one over the years. Yeah. Um, all right, so I, I'll tell you my story of the hole in one. So I, I, I think it counts. I brag about it, but I don't brag about it too much. So th- it happened when I was when I was like in sixth grade ish. Kind of, we used to always go out and play the children's course. Yeah, the little par three out there, right? You go have fun. Awesome. You could drive greens. We'd go play. You could play like you know four rounds in a day, just hang out there all day. So my only hole-in-one came on the second hole at the children's course when I was legit in, I think, sixth or seventh grade. And I love looking back on the picture, too, because I had, like, long hair. I was wearing basketball shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I had, like, a fitted cap on that was, like, backwards. <laughs> Just, and I, I ended up getting it framed because you got to print out that it's in the newspaper like I did that whole thing because it was cool at that age. But I love looking at the picture. I'm like, oh, my God, I just look like a total doofus. So what makes you think that is an official? Because it's at a par three. I mean, I know most hole-in-ones are par threes, but I don't feel like bragging about one that happened at the children's You're, You course. had me thinking that, like, it was hanging on the lip, and it's like, well, it should go in, but it's not. I was going to go uh, jump up and down yeah. a couple of times. No, I think that's 100% legit. Okay, that's countable. You shouldn't have to apologize for <laughs> okay, that. Okay, I won't apologize. So, yeah, it was the second hole at at, uh, at the children's course, and it, it was one where you couldn't – the only regret I have was you couldn't see the hole. So it was a little bit downhill, and so I knew I hit know. it on the green. I had no clue. Yeah. You walk down, you're kind of walking around like, eh, where the hell's the ball? And then eventually there it was. It that's was so in the cool. hole. Do you still have the ball? I do not still have the ball. No, I don't know what happened to the golf ball. I don't have mine either. I took a picture of the one at Heron Lakes, and but the one at uh, Bannon Trails, I nobody told me to put it in my bag. I'd never made one. Yeah, so you, like, you got to hold I, on to I that. I forgot, man. and then on eighteen at Trails, I hit it dead right in the <laughs> oh, stuff and no. lost it. I owned. I had possession of my hole in one ball for seven minutes. For, yeah, from one green to the very next tee yeah. box, dude. That, you got to hold on to that yeah. thing. You got to put it in a case. Put a little placard next to it. <laughs> it's funny when like guys on tour when they make a hole in one. Sometimes they'll just like chuck it into the crowd. Like uh, Lowry just did that at the players. Is that what? It, yeah, that's right. On 17, he got yeah, a hole in one and he grabbed it. it and threw it into the crowd. And then I saw that the guy went down and, and had him sign it. Which too. is a brilliant move. It really is. Right? Because you only get, I mean, there's not many hole ones at, at 17 at TPC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some people like, you know, the physical possession of it. Um, I cherish the memory of it. I'll never forget the guys I was with, the shot. I mean, here I am. I remember the yardage, the the wind. Like, yeah. I, like I'll always have that if I don't have the golf ball. You can always paint the picture in your head. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's flip it back to you, Dirt. Okay. What is your handicap index right now? All right. And don't me... forget, we're going to look this up to confirm it. You're going so. to look it up. Yeah. Uh, my handicap index currently is a 10.1. Okay. 10.1. I feel like that's lower than like last summer when I played with you. You were more like a 12. It, it, my handicap has been a, an absolute roller coaster. Has it? A, absolute roller coaster. So my goal last summer was to get down to a five. Okay. And I had, and this will answer another question, but I had my best round ever in my life last May at Stone Creek. I okay. shot a 71. First time I'd Damn. ever broke par. From the blues, too, which makes That's me feel awesome. good because I was playing with uh, somebody who didn't want to play the blues that day, and I was like, dude, we got to play the blues. Yeah. Let's do it, and I'm glad that I did because wow. if I would have broke par for the first time from the whites, I would have been really pissed. Yeah. 
Um, so I shot a 71, and that at the time I was like a 7.5, and it took me down to about a 5.8. It was a huge, huge yeah, drop Yeah, it's amazing off. how like your handicap can go down really quickly. With it's one it's, score. It, it goes up more slowly. Exactly, and, and, and then it became a slow bleed for me. I've been like dying by a 1,000 cuts ever since then. Okay. I don't think I had an 80 break the rest of the summer, and that was in May. Yeah. I got the yips. It like totally ruined my golf game, yeah. that 71, because then every time I went out, I expected to be able to totally. do that. It's like, oh, I, you know, this is an easy game. Yeah, it gets in your head. I played the very next week, and I think I shot like a 94, and I was like, what the hell happened? And, I, and I've been slowly rebuilding my swing ever since then. I had like, um, it, there's like an exclamation point. I have a soft cap because my handicap rose so quickly last summer. Really? So that's where I'm at. I'm at there, a 10.1, and we're trying to we're trying to work our way back down. Okay. And your home course is Eastmoreland, right? Yeah, home course is Eastmoreland. I play... Eastmoreland is far and away the course that I play the most in my life. Okay. I would say Stone Creek is like a home away from home course for me. And then uh, Sprague and I just found out actually uh, recently that we're getting our memberships at uh, Persimmon Country Club this summer. Amazing. So I'm going to be a hoity-toity country club guy this summer. Uh, you know, hey, no backwards hats, okay? Is that, that, yeah, that, that going to change your wardrobe? Do you uh, got to go buy some pleated khakis? Or I'm going to have to buy some white pants, white yeah. belt. Uh, what, what are the other country club go-tos? I, Maybe some Footjoy Classics. Footjoy Classics, yeah. okay. The, look, the ones that look like tap dance shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, def, like Maybe not flat bill hats. Definitely not backward. No, got to be forward at all line. times. Although Persimmon, like, um, I, I don't know much about that club, but I would imagine they're a little bit more progressive on the dress code thing. So. I don't think they're quite as... Uh, have, you know, hardcore as some other places yeah. were. I, I caddied at uh, one of my first jobs I've ever had. I ever had in life was caddying at Waverly. Oh yeah, I did that too. I mean, it's a great, and I always regret not taking advantage of it because I used to have caddy Mondays. Yeah, and if you work that week, you yep. could go play. Yeah. For, for, uh, for free, I believe. Yeah, it was free. Um, and I remember one time I was out there playing with my brother who worked at the course as well, and I had somebody from like two, three holes over. And I just hear this like faint shouting in the distance. And I'm like, oh God, what the hell's happened? I don't know. I don't even remember what hole we were on. And the next thing I know, I turn around and there's this old guy just barreling at me, like sprinting two holes over, screaming something at the top of his lungs. And he finally gets within like 50 yards and I can make out what he's saying. And he was screaming at me to turn my hat around. Wow. My hat was backwards. Yeah. So, hey, you, you can't do Waverly, that. Waverly, that, yeah, you can't really do that. You can't get some, away with some it. Some clubs that are even like I would consider on the high end that would allow something like that in Portland, but Waverly, eh, probably not. So I got a, I got a three prong, three prong answer now. Eastmoreland okay. will always be my home because I grew up on that course. Uh, Stone Creek, as I've gotten older, probably the one outside Eastmoreland that I played the most. Okay. And then uh, this summer, the, the home course is going to be Persimmon. That's so cool. I got to get you out there, man. You never played persimmon before. Well, now that you're a member, I might take you up on that. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go hit it up. So, what's in your bag? What what kind of equipment are you playing? I so know I, you, I know you've got the Scotty. I got the Scotty. Um, I just got a a new set of irons that I have not used yet on the course. You haven't played one round. I have not played one round. I got them like a month ago. And what are they? <clears throat> uh, the P790 TaylorMade P790. Okay. So I'm I'm fired up about them. I've been a lot of diligent work at the range. I was actually just at the range this afternoon, and Today? so before <laughs> yeah, before coming to record this, getting in the right headspace. You know, there's a you know, there's a lull in some of the sports action. I'm like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hit a couple of buckets, right? Okay. The guys, how do you, how do you like them so far? I love them. 
Absolutely cool. love them. Cool. So I'm excited. This week, and I'll, I'll uh, update on the next podcast, this week's going to be my first round. So okay. I'm, I'm fired up. New clubs. TaylorMade Sim Driver. Uh, I have avoided the uh, trap of the new one coming out every year because mm-hmm. I think I bought my Sim, and then it was like four months later, Sim 2. Ta- TaylorMade is the worst about And then that. there was like a Sim yeah. Max, yeah. and now they have, what's the new one? The, the I don't even Vortex know. or whatever. It's the red one that came out. Yeah, made of a carbon material. The carbon driver. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a TaylorMade Sim guy. You should uh, do VO. For their commercial, <laughs> I know I should. Right, TaylorMade. Uh, I think I have I have a Sim uh, hybrid and, a, and an old TaylorMade burner three wood that's probably fifteen years old. Awesome, but I hit it so well that I I can't get it out of my if bag. It ain't broke. Yeah. So I think you kind of answered this already, but the best round of your life was it that round at Stone Creek? Seventy one at Stone Creek, wow. and it was I had I'll never forget the whole round. It was one of those where you just like every putt inside ten feet fell. I didn't miss a fairway all day. Like I, it'll never happen again in my yeah. life. But you always wait for that round of golf where the stars align totally. and you're just in in the zone. It and it usually I'm the kind of guy that I'll be you know two under through five holes and then I'll stand there on the six tee box and be like, hey. I'm two under. This yeah. is kind of cool. And then you spray one immediately out of bounds. Yeah. I avoided doing that the entire round. Amazing. Until I got to 18, I was I was two under going into 18, and I hit a just smoked a drive right down the middle, the par five, a very easy scorable par five, mm-hmm. a hole that I birdied a ton in my life. Yeah, smoked one. I'm like two twenty five out right in the middle of the fairway, and I, I, I grab a three-wood, nice, easy swing, and let's try and get one on there. And as I'm standing over the ball, it hit me that if I birdie 18, I'm going to shoot at 69. Yeah. I'm going to break 70. And then it I, it was, at that point, just hold it together because yeah. I then immediately sprayed my three-wood far right yeah. into, a, into a bunker. No, I think I, I missed it even further right than the bunker. I chunked a chip into the bunker for three. Four, I got out of the bunker onto the green. And ironically, I had lost track. I was so frustrated by that falling apart on that hole, I forgot where I was. And so my par putt, I left, I don't know, maybe a foot short. And for some reason in my mind, I thought that was a bogey putt. And so I thought I had lost my chance at breaking par. Yeah. And so I walked up to my last putt that was a foot out, uh, foot outside the hole, and I just tapped it in, like without setting up, without lining it up or anything. And everybody tried to stop me because I thought it was for double bogey. And I'm like, son of a... I just I missed my chance. I yeah. tapped it in, but thankfully my counting was wrong and I shot a okay. seventy-one. If like when I lose track of scores on a on a hole because of that situation, because you're just lost in the moment, I always think of those cheesy beads that you can hang on the side of your belt. You know where the, <laughs> One, the numbers get so high. Two. Did you wish you had those? Slowly start yeah. counting, so I would have taken it. But I'm glad that I didn't because if I knew that I needed to make a, yeah. maybe it was a foot, foot and a half putt. If I knew I needed to make that to break par, yeah, they're plumb bobbing on a one footer. I probably would have missed yeah. it if I would have lined up and thought about it too much. So speaking about thinking too much, do you have any swing thoughts when you're standing over over the ball? I try and not have any thoughts in my head. I I try and go blank, dead, mine, kill all your brain cells, don't think about anything. If I do, the only things that I try and think about are slow backswing, good tempo, and don't be an idiot and look at the golf ball. Yeah. Like those, I try and keep it as simple as I possibly can. Because yeah. if the, I, my swing always gets wonky when I'm too quick on my backswing, then you're too quick coming forward, then you're duck hooking or you're slicing. I do the same thing. And so as long as you're, as long as I have a good tempo, I feel like I'm not always going to hit my spot, but at least it's going to go somewhere in the vicinity of where yeah. I want it to yeah. go. All right, let's talk a little bit about Portland golf. So and we have some listener questions, by the way. We'll get to that coming up here in a moment, and we're going to call that segment from the gallery. So I threw it out on Twitter. We had some good listener suggestions, so we'll get to those in a bit. Um, wh- what is, uh, and I'm curious where your answer is going to be on this, what's your favorite public course in Portland? 
I think that it's Ghost Creek at Pumpkin Ridge, um, especially during the summer. I just feel like once it's had a chance to dry out, um, the the front nine there, I think I think that's the best nine in Portland. Um, I think that one one and two are kind of blah, whatever. Um, but then three, that par three that's kind of downhill over the little ravine is a great little par three. It's a great hole, yeah. Yeah, and then and then like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I feel like are all great holes. Um, okay. They're not easy. They're and they're you know maybe people have issues with them because of this or that. Probably because they have some bad story uh, from from one of those holes. But <laughs> I just think that the front nine at Ghost Creek is really solid. The back nine's fun too. I mean, like that um, sixteen, seventeen are just. Really, you know, 16 is that little short, mm-hmm. tiny par three, and then 17 is a really cool risk reward par four. Um, I just feel like the collection of holes at Pumpkin Ridge Ghost Creek is so solid. And every time I play there, I have fun. The conditions are always fantastic in the summer. Um, that's my favorite public that's course. That's a in tough the world. one to beat, man. Yeah. When you think about it in the layout and. The only issue there, as you point out, is the drainage in the winter. You can get a little bogged down. Yeah, totally. When you're, you know, kind of before April, probably on the calendar. But the, the layout, they they do a great job of keeping it in shape. I think I'm going to go. I I don't want to go too simple here. I think my answer probably would be OGA. I love OGA. I the the layout of it's awesome. I, the first couple of holes I think are really cool. The first one just kind of that uphill par four, protected by bunkers. Yep. The second hole, you got to kind of walk through the trees to get back to that second hole, yeah. and it's got water on the left and cool looking trees. the The long par five that you got to like the risk reward shot. Of, do you try and airmail one over the third tee box, yeah. or do you just hit like a five iron down the middle of the fairway? Yeah. I love the the choice there, and that's a place too that I feel like the only the only downside about it is the long drives. So I know it's yeah. not technically in Portland, um, but if it if it were closer, I think I would play that course all the time. And the other thing I love about that course is how accessible it is from a cost standpoint. I mean, super like, P- Pumpkin Ridge is kind of expensive, um, but if you're going to factor the cost of it into your favorite public course, I think that OGA is a strong candidate for that reason. Yeah, it's not super expensive. Not super expensive at all. And there's a lot of places. Um, Especially, I mean, there's just an issue, I think, of public golf becoming super expensive in this area. And there's such a demand for it now, which I get. Like, there's some, you know, I played a public course and I won't name names, but uh, uh, last spring and we showed up, everybody's checking in and we found out it was going to be like 90 something bucks. Like, it's a public golf course. Yeah. Not almost $100. Yeah. Like, I'm not playing TPC Scottsdale. Yeah, we're here. Not, like, we're not in, in Phoenix. So, I, the ones that keep it affordable always get you know, the majority of my business. What's your favorite private course? I, I just have fond memories from playing Waverly when I used to caddy there. Yeah. And um, we had some family friends who were members, so I've been able to play there quite a bit. And I just love it there. I mean, they did a renovation, Gil Hance did, back in um, – or no, yeah, what year was that? It was like five or six years ago they they totally redid it. And I just thought it got better. Some of the holes that, that people had some issues with, like three at, at Waverly, that green was just so severe that it just kind of became laughable. They kind of fixed that. The conditions at Waverly are just so perfect. Yep. I mean, it's like putting on carpet. Yeah. The the last three holes there are awesome. To me, like when, and I just think about like the, the, the feeling it, it gives you when you play it, it just feels special. And that's kind of like where I feel about Pumpkin Ridge. Um, is that it just feels special as a public venue, right, Pumpkin Ridge. And I get that same sense with when you're playing Waverly, 
even though you got to wear your hat forward, you know, <laughs> it, you just feel like you're, you're playing somewhere special. Yep. And so that there's cool history there. Yeah. So people will probably disagree with me on, is that, is that the best track in town? Um, a lot of people will probably say Columbia Edgewater or, um, probably which out at Pumpkin sure. Ridge. But for me personally, it's Waverly. Waverly's tough. I wish I had. I just haven't played that course in so long. And I don't, you know, because it's been since I was in middle school. And so it's been a long time for me. I'd love to get back. If anybody's listening and you're a member of Waverly, hit me up. I'd love to go check out the course changes. People have asked me, is part of the reason you're doing this podcast to get free golf? And I'm like, (laughs) not saying that I would turn it down if somebody did. I'm not going to say no. I mean, That's not the reason. It's not the main reason, but hey, if you want to invite me out to Waverly, I'll do it. I think I'm going to go a little off the board. I'm going to go Willamette Valley. I love Willamette Valley Country Club. Um, oh. It's it, it, awesome layout, challenging but scorable. Some holes, it, it, it doesn't feel uh, gimmicky at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Always keep it in really good shape. And it's funny whenever uh, I don't know anybody that's a member there, but whenever they the Northwest Golf Guys release their calendar for the spring, because that's one of the cool parts about the Northwest Golf Guys is you have the ability to go play country clubs that mm-hmm. you usually can't get on. Yeah, usually on a Monday, so you have to be able to do it on a weekday. I always circle that one on the calendar to make sure I get a chance to go play it. And it's like cool. the one time a year that I get to go play it. Yeah, that's a great track. Uh, what's the toughest course in the area? I think uh, Heron Lake's Great Blue, if you play it all the way back. Agree 100%. Is, is so hard. That's why that course is the devil. And what's amazing about it is that it's kind of a linksy design, but the summertime in Portland, you don't always get that much wind. And so the fairways are wide, the greens are big. So you wouldn't think that it's crazy hard, but as you know, and a lot of people know, if you don't hit it in the right place, um, oh, you're you going to have a long you, day. It can add up quick. There's a lot of water hazards, but I think it's super fair. It's not gimmicky. There aren't too many water hazards to where it feels like it's just really hard or not like overbearing. I just feel like it's fair. It's well-designed. It's. I think that the back nine at... Um, at Heron Lakes is probably at Great Blue is probably in there with like the best nine I said at Pumpkin. I think if you took the front nine at uh, um, Ghost Creek and the back nine at Great Blue, put them together, to me, that would be like the ultimate <laughs> that you could have. I just think that Great Blue is is really solid. That is. Um... Great blue, I I have sworn off so many times in my life. Like you said, you like I'm like, not. I'm, not, back I'm here. never. Every, every time I play there, I'm walking up the 18th fairway, and I'm telling myself I'm never playing. You're here like again. I'm out of balls. I'm not doing this. This is stupid. <laughs> I just lost one on the par three over water. I sprayed one right into 17, yeah. or I went for the green and I didn't get it there. Yeah. 18, I you know blocked one out to the right. I lost never know ball. what line to take on 18 at that. <laughs> never. Yeah. And every every time I'm there, and I'll play with people that know that course a little bit. better better than me they'll give you the the swing point and i feel like sometimes i hit that spot and i'm on a totally different hole i'm over a dune somewhere like with no sight to the green yeah that course eats me alive every time i play it and so i i agree 100 with you on that one uh where do you play the most in the off season do you play a lot of off season golf you know i don't and you and i have talked about this like and i know with you like your season with just in in your job and covering sports like i think we're in agreement that the golf season in portland is basically like Masters weekend to Labor Day is when it's like peak, peak season in Portland. And and I kind of follow that. Like when it when the, when I see the Masters on television and I'm sitting in if I'm in Portland, 
that to me is like the final inspiration to like dust off the clubs and get out and start trying to regularly play. Yeah. And then, you know, try to play as much as I can through the summer, having children kind of dampers out a little bit. But then <laughs> when I get to like Labor Day and I think your work schedule is similar to this, like you shift into duck football mode and you do it for work. I do it for personal reasons where my mind just sort of clicks out of golf and it yeah. clicks into college football. You're hanging around watching games on the weekend. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't play a ton of off-season golf. Um, if 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 and when I do play, I I think about what has the best drainage. Um, maybe I'm just a Florida guy that doesn't like the mud no, anymore. That's the only way you can do it. Yeah, and so when I think about that, I think that Langdon Farms has fantastic drainage. The best um, in the area for sure. Yeah. Um, Stone Creek, I think, has really great good. drainage, so I like playing there. Um, those are the two that if you called me in December, I wouldn't play with you on a rainy December day, <laughs> but if we caught a couple of days where it hadn't rained and it was going to be sunny and you said, Hey, let's go play at Langdon or Stone Creek. I would definitely say yes to that. Those are really the only two courses I play in the winter. Yeah. I can't, I can't, if somebody invites me out to go golf and it's at a course, I'm okay playing winter golf. I don't play a ton. I'll probably from like December through February or November, I guess through February, I'll play four or five times. You know, try and get out once a month yeah. at the most. And if it works, you get out more than that, you do. Uh, if somebody asks me, hey, come play Heron Lakes or come play Eastmoreland or come, I, no, I, I can't do it. If I'm losing balls in the fairway, I'm out. Yeah. I just can't. That's too frustrating for me. And I get some people just like being out there and swinging a club. Yeah. The one thing I have tried to do more, because I, you know, it's tough when you're in Oregon and you can, you don't play as often for, six months out of the year, five months out of the year. Cause you know, that living in Florida, like you can play year round golf. Yeah. You lose your swing. So the one thing I have tried to do is just hit the range as often as possible. You so go you don't to the range it. a lot, don't you? I try to get to the range at least once yeah. a week. Wow. Just because I, if I hate, I used to be the guy that would put the clubs away in September yeah. you pick them up in April or May and it's, but you spend like a month and a half relearning your swing yeah. and like you always play that first round's always good. Cause you haven't built any bad habits yet. Yeah. And then it goes to hell for like a month and then you slowly get it back. So I try and go to the range as often as I can, but when I do play, I'm with it's Langdon and it's Stone Creek. Yeah. Those are, those are the best. Uh, what's what's the best hole in Portland? That's hard. Um, I think 16 at Waverly is awesome. Okay, um, you know, and 17 is great too. There, um, I think that, I think that shot with the backdrop 16 at Waverly. The backdrop of the Willamette River right there, long downhill par three, big green. It's just a cool shot, man. Yeah. And it's hard for me to to pick a nut like a hole that isn't a par three just for one hole because just the standing on the tee looking at a target and that's that's like basically the the hole in its entirety. I just think that's fun. And so that I think I would pick 16 at Waverly. What about you? I think I would go, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it OG. I'm going to, a place where we used to party in high school. I'm going to go 17 at Eastmoreland. <laughs> Good hole. 17 at Eastmoreland, just the fact that it's, you know, they're hitting it over the water. Like there's some that are, are kind of over water, but, and, and look, you're never going to get the full experience unless you go to Florida and play the course. But having that 17th hole like TPC where yeah. it's, you know, and I've had a lot of rounds where you're, it's coming down to that. And then 18, when you're playing the blues and your tee box is back in oh, the shoe. Oh, all the way back? Oh, yeah. God, man. I mean, yeah. so that's a tough, you know, place to finish. And yeah. so that green, you don't notice it when you're on the tee box. You forget how large that green is. Yeah. It looks like you're trying to hit it on top of an anthill when you're back there and you're hitting one 160 or 170 or 150, wherever the, the tees are that day. 
I think I think I would go 17. That's probably Portland. the closest green in Portland to 17 at TPC yeah. Sawgrass in terms of how how much water there is. Like if you just do linear footage, like it's probably the closest thing to an island green. Because I'm thinking there's the what is it 15 at at, Heron, at Gray Blue. That's the I think it's 15 or 6 whichever one. The downhill, and the, yeah, but if 15. you leave it short, you're in water. Yeah, but you can miss right. You can miss eh, not really left, but you can block one out right and be okay. And I guess 17's that way a little bit because you can hit one down and like yeah. where the carts go through. Yeah. Uh, but if if you hook one left, you're gone. Yeah. Chunk one short, you're gone. So I think I think that's where I'm going. Okay. Uh, let's get one more in here because we got a few um, listener questions we got to get to, and then we'll do a fun this or that game. Uh, best 19th hole and why is it Eastmoreland? Well, <laughs> you and I talked about this, and I don't even like before you and I had that moment where we were just throwing dollars on the table and betting on what people were going to do. And just so people know, we weren't always betting on them to hit it bad. No, there's like, good bet. Yeah. It was all based on like how their practice swing looks basically, yeah. right? How you look and how your practice swing is. So, I mean, I've obviously always like thought of that as a great place to sit and watch people. And that's a very common thing to do, but I had never really thought of that as a 19th hole. Like for, for whatever reason, whenever I play East Moreland, I, I just, I didn't really often go and do what we did. And so when we, when we were sitting there doing that and just how fun that was, I think we were another beer and another beer and another beer way too long. (laughs) And so that to me, it's like I don't even know what would be second place. There's probably someone out there who who would argue. Again, going back to Waverly, like sitting out on the the veranda totally. there at Waverly, like by the Willamette River, is pretty epic. But you got to have your hat on, and you know there's a certain decorum there. Whereas at Eastmoreland, you feel like you can just kind of let loose a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The, the the difference in the public and the private club for sure you can't quite scream and yell or yeah. and not that we do that at Eastmoreland but it's fun to kind of clap when somebody hits a fairway and yeah. you know let out a, a hoot or a holler one that that I do think is a little underrated I like the 19th hole at Stone Creek mm-hmm. because you look over the 18th green and they got that big deck and you yeah. kind of hang over the railing yep. uh, that's a solid one the other one that and I'm not just saying this for contractual reasons but for those who know Persimmon has an awesome uh, 19th hole because okay. both the nine and the 18th you have to clear a ravine to get it to the green and they're kind of next to each other very similar holes both par fours you got to hit a good tee shot make sure you're in the right spot but there is a big kind of deck that's about i don't know 20 30 feet elevated above it that's key so you you can kind of hang there and you can see tee shots come down and then you see there you got to hit it over a ravine that's about 50 yards wide and so it's a tough tricky shot so those are those are fun because you kind of see people you know, throw a club or get pissed or whatever. That I haven't having the green. It's kind of the opposite of Eastmoreland because Eastmoreland's fun because you're right there on the tenth tee box. Yeah, they're going away from you, going away from shots. you, yeah. and it's a tee shot. And this one, they're coming at you, yeah. and it's an approach shot onto the green. Yeah. So it's amazing when you're watching people putt out on a hole. How many three footers get missed? <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to be the guy that's seen uh, just picking your ball up inside three feet. Like, hey, finish that. <laughs> The other one that I I think of is at the reserve when you can sit up on the the patio up there you can look out and get a pretty wide view of of several yeah. different holes there that's a good that's spot a good one I forgot point. about the reserve's solid for well, sure well and it, and if it's if we're going not just on like can I see people playing just the bar area at the reserve is fun there's there's it gets pretty boisterous in there in my experience and so it just seems like that's a fun place to be after your round I'm glad you brought up the reserve we haven't given them enough love that's a great local course I love that they flip the sides back and forth so you got 
chance to play both of them. Yeah. Was it every two weeks or every month or whatever they do? Yeah. Uh, big fan of that. And that's a sweet 19th hole. Yeah. Um, before we get to the listener questions, let's run through some uh, kind of a, a this or that game, okay? Um, we, we just kind of jotted these down, thought it'd be fun to get to know each, you know, a little bit about, more about each other and our backgrounds in golf and, and for the listeners as well. And you can play along with all these. Just hit us up on Twitter if you have any thoughts on these, including the best 19th hole, because I know there's going to be varying opinions out there about that. Uh, if you could change one rule in golf, what would it be? Oh, man. I think the easy answer is if you're in the fairway and, and you're in a divot, you get to take it out. Amen. That just happened to Paul Casey. He landed in oh a pitch mark, and he had to play it out of the pitch mark. That wasn't even a divot. It I was, mean, that was a pitch mark. How does that happen, first that, off? That and so why weird. are you penalized for hitting a fairway? Yeah. So here's the only counterpoint I would I would throw out there for that. My question, kind of the devil's advocate to easily, yeah, if you hit in a divot, you should get free relief. When does a divot no longer a divot? In other words, like, what if you hit it in a little tuft of burned out grass that look kind of looks like it's an old divot that just didn't really grow back? Do you get relief from that? It, there's a slippery slope and there. And so then you're like, hey, guys, come over and look at this. And is this a divot? Is it not a divot? So I don't know that it's like we see on TV or maybe most of the time when you or I or anybody hits it into a divot, it's very obvious that this is a fresh divot. This is just right. I hit it right down the middle. I should get relief from this. However, if you create that rule, you have to then account for those instances where it's not so black and white. So if I were to kind of throw that out because of that, how it's not necessarily so easy, the rule that I would change is how there's yellow water hazards and red water hazards. And I've been around the game a long time. I've played in a lot of tournaments. I am not super confident in my ability to even discern what the difference is in terms of the ruling and why it needs to what, like why did they can make I, it do yellow? I need to re do I need can I drop here is it a lateral hazard what yeah like what like I don't know and <laughs> and and it's like I go back to why do they even create this opportunity for it to be so confusing why don't they just make them all the same it's a water hazard is a water hazard and lateral schmateral I don't care what you call it right just make all the water hazards the same that that'd be a rule I would change. That's a good rule to change. I I don't know if I could overcome the divot one. And if I'm playing by myself, not in a tournament setting, and I'm in no money's on the line, or I'm always moving my ball. And your and your buddies wouldn't care. Like, They'd be it's, like, we're I just totally out here agree. having fun. I'm on the 15th hole. I got a good round going. And I you hit got the a fairway. horrible break. Yeah, some some Joe Blow wearing jeans, three groups ahead of me, took out a beaver pelt and didn't replace it. Yeah. I'm not playing my ball yeah. out of here. And That's it's ridiculous. not like you're asking for free relief from a tree root because you're 30 no. yards into the trees. You're dead center in the middle of the fairway, and you got a really bad break. And that's my thing, too, is like because I get the the slippery slope point of especially on the PGA Tour, like how many how many different settings are guys going to try and get the ball out of? For me, when I'm playing that shot, there's no different. I'm moving the ball two inches to the left. Yeah, it's in the same distance. I'm not moving it closer to the hole. It's yeah. not make. It's making my life a little easier because I don't have to play out of what I would consider a hazard. Yeah. But uh, that's the one. I, I like your your lateral rule change as well. That would be a great one to change. I do like that they added the drop in the middle of the fairway off the tee box to speed up play. Yeah. I feel like that's a little underutilized from some people. Probably because they don't really know that it exists. Very true. I, I'll play with people sometimes and say, no, you yeah. don't have to re-tee. You can just go drop yeah. one out there. It's the same as if you're re-teeing here. And even if you hit you know, go give yourself that chance. Go drop one in the middle of the I've fairway. I've played a lot of golf, especially abandoned, where there's no – because there's no white stakes abandoned dunes. But when you hit it into the a gorse patch – you, that's a lost ball, which is basically the same as out of bounds. Um, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Like, it's 
Yeah, lost ball is the same as out of bounds. Like if you hit it in the gorse, you go out and you can't find it. Right. It's not like it's unplayable because in order for it to be unplayable, you have to identify your ball. Yeah, and if you hit it in the gorse, it's a lost ball. It's basically like out of bounds. So that's basically what out of bounds amounts to it at Bandon. But because it's so penalizing, we would just say that the local rule here at Bandon is to just play every gorse patch as a lateral hazard. And I think most people probably do that. Right. So that would be another rule that I would consider. Because that makes of, sense. You hit it into that, just drop it to the left, you know, where you go in. Imagine seeing somebody, you're playing at Bandon, and some guy walking back to the tee to re <laughs> How embarrassing and stupid that would be. Right. right? There's like a group stacked up behind him like, yeah. sorry, you know, hit one. So the whole OB rule about like bring it out into the fairway and it's a two-shot penalty, like I like that. I think that the rules of golf get so technical that that 90% yeah. of people who play probably either don't know or don't care. And so they'll just play whatever their teammate, the, the, their playing partners agree sure. with. And, that, and what else matters in that is my opinion. We should get Charlie Hoffman's thoughts on all these uh, oh, drop man. rulings and uh, <laughs> what the PGA Tour is doing. Um, if you had one round to play, where would you play it and with who? Does it have to be in Portland? Are we doing that? You can play anywhere you want. Okay. I would. How about this? How about a realistic course to play? Yeah. Like not Augusta National yeah. with Tiger Woods. Okay. So if I could play anywhere, um, I've been lucky to play a lot of places, but one place that I still have never played is Pebble Beach. Mm. So I would I would choose Pebble Beach, and I would pick you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't pick me. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to take me down there. I'm going to tear that place up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would probably play with my brother. Yeah. Um, I would play with my dad. And then the fourth... I mean, it'd be fun to just like like throw a, a tour player in there or something. But if it was someone in my my close circle, probably just one of my another one of my really good friends, like from the Golf Channel or something. One of those guys. Yeah. But definitely my brother and my dad. That'd be pretty fun. I, I'll say, and I'm going to pick a course that I have played before, and it's my favorite golf course on the planet that I've actually played. Uh, the, my favorite course in the world is Running Y down in southern Oregon, yeah, so down in Klamath Falls. I love that place. I, my old high school football coach moved down there, and we play a tournament down in Running Y every, every summer, and it's intense. We shout at each other. We yell. There's a trophy involved, green jackets. There's, you know, it's, there's a lot of debauchery that goes into this, and we take it way too serious. I don't, know, even how, I don't even remember how we started going down there, how it turned into a tournament, but the trophy, get, it gets engraved every year. It's amazing. Uh, and it is, I look forward to that on the calendar every summer. And we always pick our weekend. We go down. You play a couple rounds Friday, around Saturday, a big barbecue cookout after that second round. And so I, if you've never been down to Klamath and played Running Y, I absolutely love that course. Isn't it cool that, that it sounds to me in hearing you say that, that your favorite course, a, a big part of why it's your favorite course is the experience you've had playing there with those totally. people, right? And I, I think that we get so caught up in rankings and which course has all the best metrics on how good it is just on paper. But really, the best course that anyone could play, a huge piece of that is the people you're playing with. Without a doubt. And the experience that you have while you're there. No, no doubt about that. Uh, last one before we get to the from the gallery for the uh, questions from listeners. What do you drink on the course? You light beer, IPA? You a seltzer guy? What do you go with? I'm Coors Light, man. You're a Coors Light guy? Okay. There's no shame in that. I just feel like you can you can have a few of those and not feel like you're you're spinning and you're out on the course on a hot summer day. That's not exactly – you're moving around. It, it, it's not really, to me, conducive to an IPA. I mean, I'm a fan of IPAs. Don't get me wrong. I am too. Like more, more so a uh, post-round IPA. I'm yeah, a 19th exactly. hole IPA guy so, when I don't need to worry about hitting a golf ball anymore. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm Coors Light, man. I go uh, – and I, I have totally changed as I've gotten older. I am 100% a seltzer guy. 
100%. 100% a seltzer guy on the course. I occasionally, if somebody has a light beer in their bag, I'll drink a light beer. Um, but I, you can't top it. It's yeah. refreshing. It tastes delicious. Is this it's, a commercial? This is, yeah, brought to you by Truly. Uh, it's not super filling. Like, I don't get that, like, bloated, like, feeling after I just chugged it 9.5%, you know, Fort George or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, I go I go seltzer all the time on cool. the course. I always yeah, pack I think, them in the in I think the a batter. lot of people would agree with that. And I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to that either. So next time when we play, I'll pack the bag with Coors Light. You bring the Trulies, and we'll there we go. We'll share. Everybody will have fun. Any local courses listening? We'd never bring our own drinks to the course ever. I, no, I said that I'll pack my bag with the ones I. Yeah, would you, you the, buy them in the clubhouse, inside. and then you yeah. you bring the ice out, and then there. Okay, uh, let's get to the from the gallery segment. So I, I threw this out on Twitter, and I love you guys for responding and um, and sending in uh, questions. I think a lot of these are awesome. So I'm going to shout out your your Twitter handles as I go, uh, and I'm going to let you rant on this one, Eric, because you. We were texting when this was announced the other day, and I, I had to double take and look at like I thought I was misreading the press release. Uh, Andrew A Riley one two nine five on Twitter wants to know uh, what are your thoughts on the Live Tournament coming to Portland, the Saudi Arabia Golf League, supposedly scheduled to be played. If you missed that, uh, Greg Norman and the Saudis, who they still don't have any golfers sign up for their league, but they announced their full you know summer schedule. And one of the locations on their their summer schedule was Pumpkin Ridge, and it was going to be the first weekend of July is where they're going. So I'll I'll let you uh, rant and rave about that. The live tournament coming to Pumpkin Ridge. So you double taked when you saw that, and yeah. I I did text you as soon as I saw it. I triple quadruple taked. I I couldn't believe it. I I figured I didn't think it was complete fake, um, but I just thought it was. I misread that it rumored that something. Um, I couldn't believe that 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 had when that came out. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, to some extent, I still can't really picture my, in my mind, <laughs> like what? especially like fresh off of Cam Smith winning the players and winning the largest first place prize, which was what like three point two million or mm-hmm. something. And the purse, I think, for that for the players was twenty million. So you're telling me that later this summer, and and we're not talking about something that's like five years from now. Sometimes no. you hear of these like like venues that are hosting a, a U.S. Open. It's in like eight, ten years or something. This is like this summer. You're talking like four months from now. Yeah. So um, I personally don't still think that it's actually going to happen. Um, I think it, to some extent, Greg Norman and the team at LIV Golf, I think what they did here is that they moved a chess piece to try to further their like kind of their gamesmanship to try to like get this off the ground. I think that, and I don't know, I don't have any inside Intel telling me this, but it makes sense that some of the pushback that they were probably getting from players kind of behind the curtain was that guys, you're asking me to ask my opinion about this new tour that isn't, doesn't exist yet. Like what, like, why are you asking me if I support this new tour, the Saudi money thing to the side why would I say yay or nay to something that doesn't even exist yet? It's just an idea. I mean, imagine yeah. if you went into, like, someone said they had a business idea and they asked for your support of that business, and you said, okay, what's the business? And and you're like, well, we don't know yet. I'd love to check out your shop or your product or, well, we don't like, have either of those things. And so, like, how, like how could you expect players to, to get on board? So I think what, what the team at LIV Golf was doing with this announcement is they were trying to – uh, I think they kind of felt like they were putting the cart before the horse with this whole um, rollout, and they just decided that, hey, players have probably told us that 
they want to know what the schedule is. They want to know where it's being played so they can then kind of wrap their mind around what it would be like to even schedule this on their schedule, you know, because tour players have busy schedules. They're not just looking for stuff to fill holes, right? So I think that they did that. They're no further along than they were even pre-Phil Mickelson. Um, you know, th- this thing has had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It's like um, I don't think they're any further along now um, than they were before. I think that this schedule release thing was just sort of posturing to try to, like, um, leverage it kind of a little further. I still, if I were to put any money down, I would say that there will not be an LIV tournament at Pumpkin Ridge 4th of July weekend. Interesting. Yeah, it's I, I still can't believe it. It still doesn't seem real. And the idea that, like, some local golfer is going to be playing for a $4 million winning prize because I don't know who they're going to get. They haven't signed anybody up yet. And to your point, you know, maybe this is the next step to move the ball down the field and they get a couple of PGA Tour guys that say yes at this point. But well, and like, what if we still they haven't get heard. A, uh, well, it, and so if they get a couple of PGA Tour players, like, who are those people? Exactly. And, and, How and, far and, down the list are they? And they still don't have TV rights. They don't have TV rights. Um, if they don't get the top players to play in it, are people going to watch it on television? No. And so I, I just it just seems like there's way more question marks than there are exclamation points Agreed. of things that are actually um, going to happen. That's why I think they were offering Bryson $100 million was because they wanted him to come and be a headliner and figure people will watch if Bryson's the star of the show. They? I, I, I mean, mean, I don't know if they would, but I think that was their idea behind it. I sure as hell wouldn't. I don't I, mean, I don't need to watch him swing like a maniac and, you know, break his back. Every- and I'm not saying I wouldn't watch because Bryson's playing, but I'm not going to be more interested in seeing Bryson, a tournament because Bryson's playing in it. And I mean, are you, I mean, you're putting it up against because there is a tournament every weekend on the PGA Tour. Yeah, so the one that would be 4th of July weekend at Pumpkin, they'd be up against the John Deere Classic, which yeah. is kind of, you could argue, is one of the lower tier PGA Tour events. But, but also a lot of guys go over and play. I think the Scottish Open is that weekend because it's, it's, it's the weekend. No, it's the following weekend. Okay, that's the following the, weekend. The British Open or the the Open Championship is uh, <laughs> two is two weeks after that. So okay, the, it's in terms of timing, you've got the Liv um, slash John Deere Classic is Fourth of July weekend. Then you have the Scottish Open, and I forget what PGA Tour event is that weekend. Um, and then you have then the, the Open, Open Championship. Yeah, uh, Tanky Muniz, Kevin underscore Goff. He wants to know where he talked about our favorite course, but he wants to know the best dollar, the best dollar for dollar uh, value. And for me, I don't know if you agree with this, and I hate to go back to a course that we mentioned a ton. It's hard to pick against it because we grew up on it. I don't think there's a better dollar for dollar value for my dollar than East Moreland. What is it in the summer? $48? bucks or something. You can go get uh, 18 holes, and if you want to hit a small bucket and you're in for about 54 bucks. Yeah. Like that's an easy, quick warm-up. The only issue I don't have or that I have with East Moreland um, – is not having a putting green over by the clubhouse, but we've yeah. talked about that many a time. I would like that, but it's just a, a lot of places you're going now. I mean, you're you're finding OGA is a great value too, as we yeah. highlighted earlier. But a lot of places you're going. I mean, you're talking seventy dollar, eighty dollar rounds, and yeah. so when you find one that's still sub fifty for eighteen holes, I'm all over it. Yeah, I think that um, Stone Creek is is in there. I would I think that that's a great value. Um, I, I think Heron Lakes, like, I mean, maybe people don't think that it's like a player's course, but I think that Greenback at Heron Lakes is fun, and that's about the same price as East Moreland. Yeah. And in the summertime, like, it's it's a sunny day. You're out, there's not a lot of tree cover. So if you want to get a suntan, like, it, I mean, the greens are usually in pretty good shape in the summer there. I think that's a great value as well. It's pretty easy to get to. Uh, Sprague wants to know the one course you'd most want to watch a PGA tournament be played in the area in Portland. Yeah. 
Eastmoreland. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Watch him drive every green. Yeah, I I think that the like Pumpkin Ridge. I I think at um at Witch Hollow. I think that we've you and I have both been to the the Corn Ferry Tour event out there, and it's fun to see those guys play that course and hit shots that that were like, wow, they just took that line. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I know that there's not a there's not much distance. Um, difference, if if any, between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. So I think it'd be fun to see him see the top players in the world, the Bryson DeChambeau's. That would be fun to watch. Um, but just the lines they would take off of some of those holes and how many under par they could probably go. They'd probably just rip it up. I mean, that's probably why it's hard for, to get an event out there. But that would probably be my pick. If you could expand out, I mean, the dream in the state of Oregon would be to get him abandoned. And I know they all go play Bandon for the most part. I mean, I remember being down there, was it last spring? And Tony Finau had just been there playing oh, cool. Old Mac for a couple oh, that days. that would be so like, fun to see him hit so shots. The, I mean, those guys are down there, you know, and go work on their game, link-style game. And it's, I mean, it's the best golf resort in the world, probably. Um, Portland Golf Club is another one that Portland I golf think club? Could, yeah. could actually handle it. I think there's there's elements beyond just the, the golf holes that are a requirement for a PGA Tour event, you know, you need a lot of space, and PGC doesn't have that. But if we were to just say, hey, that stuff isn't a factor, I think PGC, they've spent a ton of money moving tees back, making it so that if they got the call, they could They'd host be ready to a, go. a big tournament. And so I think it'd be fun to see you guys play there. Uh, let's get to one more here. Andrew uh, wants to know, who is the coolest person you've ever uh, met or been paired up with on the golf course? So I'll, your story is way cooler than mine, so I'll start. <laughs> Uh, I, I have not played a lot of rounds of golf with really quote unquote cool people or celebrities or anything like that. Um, we, I had the chance last, I think it was last fall. We had the chance to play in the LPGA, uh, pro-am when it when came it to was town. At Oregon golf club, when right? it was at Oregon golf club. It was yeah. the first time I'd ever played Oregon golf club as wow. well. And we played with an LPGA tour player, Lindsay Weaver. And she was awesome. Cool. Like those don't always go well. And it's a little awkward. And that first tee box is always like, Hey, Hey, you know, she's there trying to get ready for the tournament. And we're a bunch of slappies that are yeah. tagging along on her golf. Round. So she but was fun to hang around. She was with? totally cool. She joked yeah. the entire time. Her caddy was super nice. Uh, so that, that one's probably it. I would say the coolest round of golf I've ever played though. And you probably have experiences like this from your time uh, down at Bandon. We got invited to go play Sheep Ranch the o- before it opened. Uh, they were opening, you know, a week later or two weeks later or something like that, and they invited us down for a preview round. Sweet. And so we played Sheep Ranch with a five sum, and there was only two other groups on the entire course. Amazing. One of them was a guy playing by himself, who was the dude who designed the course just out there playing around and checking it out. And the other one, and I don't know who he was with, uh, but it was Drew Bledsoe was <laughs> there with you know two other people, two buddies that he, of course, flew in, and they were having a good time. So that's probably the coolest round I've ever played of walking around a course abandoned. Nobody's there. It was a perfect weather day in, like, April or May, and seeing the guy who designed it and Drew Bledsoe. And you probably would kind of catch yourself, like, looking around, like, how cool is this? Yeah, just ocean vistas on every point. And like, you're like, no one's out there. Yeah, not a soul in the world. Like, hey, that's, I could get used to this. This is a good pretty, perk. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> so go ahead, blow me out of the water. What's your well, story? So, like, because you played a lot of cool golf rounds from your time at the Golf Channel. Yeah, man. I've like, and not. I'm not not to say that there's there's so many other people that have that have done cool stuff, but for me, it was playing in a PGA Tour pro am. I got to play in the Viking Classic pro am uh, in Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, our pro was Woody Austin. Woody Austin. Who, I got to Google Woody Austin. Yeah, I'm, I'm he, sure I'll remember the, the Most people face. probably know who he is. He made a run against Tiger when Tiger won the PGA in, 
I want to say it was 2004 or five, maybe. And um, it was at Southern Hills, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so we, our pro was Woody Austin. And there were two cool things that happened that made that one of the funnest rounds I've ever played with anyone. But the fact that we were playing in a pro-am was cool. And if anyone listening has ever played in a pro-am, it's a little bit nerve wracking because you're playing with a tour player. It's a little bit more nerve wracking because there's grandstand set up usually. You know, there's nobody sitting in them on a Wednesday, but you know, still you can sort of you feel like you're playing a PGA tour venue. Oh yeah, I remember Woody Austin. Oh yeah. yeah. So so uh and he was super nice and had a great time. Cause you're right, like you don't really know how engaged they're gonna be and and can you blame them, right? They're there for business, you're there for just to have fun, right? And most some of them are like the day before the tournament tees off. Yeah, so they're it's like usually 24 on Wednesday. hours. Yeah. Like that guy's got to get it going tomorrow. They're playing a practice round, and so they're right. honed in on yardages and stuff. So, so we tee off on the first hole, and we're playing the white tees. He's playing all the way back, and so on the first tee, um, I just smoke one right down the middle. I don't know how, but I did, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. I kind of closed my eyes, but hit a great shot, and it went so far down there that because again we're playing the up tees and. Uh, Woody, as we're walking up the fairway, is like, man, that was a really good shot. What's your handicap? And at that time, I was a two-point-something, whatever. And then on the next shot, I had like 70 yards in, kind of a touchy touchy little lob wedge, and it crashed into the flag stick and just bounced like three feet backwards. You're feeling like a badass. (laughs) I was so – I mean, that was crazy. Like, Woody was laughing. And so I go up there, and thankfully I made the three- or four-footer. And as we're walking off to the next tee box, he goes, how many birdies do you think you're going to make today? And I was like, probably one. That's Got my it guess. out of the way. First hole. Like kind of laughing it off. And and then we don't talk about that again. And then as we're walking up the ninth fairway, um, I had made like one more birdie, I think. And um, his caddy comes up to me on the ninth fairway and says, hey, man, I don't I don't mean to put any pressure on you, but I bet my boss 100 bucks that you'd make at least five birdies. <laughs> I'm like, five? Really? I think I've made two. And he goes, yeah, I know. I'm counting. So, you, you know, you've got 10 holes left to make three more birdies. Well, what <laughs> happens? I, I don't make any more birdies. And so that that's why I'm a oh, casual golfer and not as good as they are. So that was you a pretty cost him 100 bucks, man. So the other hilarious thing that happened during that day is Woody made a hole-in-one on the – it was on the front nine, like the sixth or seventh hole. He just made a hole-in-one. And that was before I had ever made a hole-in-one. And I had never really amazingly seen that many. I think I'd seen one before. And he just knocked it into the hole in a pro-am. And I'm like, this oh, is hum, No big deal. Like, this is awesome. And so we were walking off the green of that of that hole. And I just said, Woody, how many holes-in-one have you made? You know, um, I was just curious. He made it look so easy. And he's a tour player. So it's like, I wonder what this number is going to be. And he goes, I don't know. I lost track. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and then and then I asked him, I said, what do you do with the golf balls when you, like, do you have a case that you put them in or something? Because I'm thinking it's like, you know, 15 or 20 aces totally. this guy's made. And I said, what do you do with the golf balls? And he said, I just give them to people. And he tossed it to me. And so that is back to the, no like, the hole-in-one thing. I do have a hole-in-one golf ball still it's in my possession, Woody. but it's Woody's, really? not mine. <laughs> So that was a pretty special day. It was awesome. You know, those pro-am things are such an amazing opportunity. Not a lot of people get to do that. But when you do, if you do, I encourage you to have a lot of fun with it. Don't bother your tour player. Don't, don't try to talk shop with them the whole way down, asking them stupid questions about tiger and this and that. So if you can kind of build that mutual respect of, Hey, they're there for work. Um, I think that you can have a lot of fun doing those things. Uh, let's close with this. Uh, and th- this, will, this will be the definitive rankings. And people are welcome to 
chime in with their definitive rankings as well. But this will be the Grip City definitive rankings. This is the definitive rankings? Definitive rankings. Okay. The order of abandoned courses. Now, I'm going to throw mine at you, okay. and I'm going to see if you know more about that place than I do. My my top five. So you're going from five to one. Okay, I'll go five to one. Wor- okay. is, uh, not worse because there's no back horses down there, yeah. but if I had to choose the last one to play to the, fir- the, the one I would want to play the most. Okay. Uh, Sheep Ranch five. Old Mac four. Bandon Trails three. Pacific Dunes two. And OG Bandon one. That's strong. I, f- I feel very confident about this. Wait, so, rattle those off real quick again. I'm going to go Sheep 5. I went Sheep 5. And I feel bad for going Sheep 5. Well, you have to put something at 5. You got to put something at 5. Yeah. I just, it's not, the vistas are incredible, but it's not a super, if, if, if you get a, a, a non-windy day out there, I mean, look out. You're going low because there's no bunkers. The, the fairways are wide open. Um. It just there's not a lot of nuance to some of the holes, but you get those ocean views. But if I'm just picking the golf course to play, it shows up last. So I go, okay. I go sheep, old Mac, Bandon Trails, uh, Pacific Dunes, and then OG Bandon. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you can find a better course in the Western Hemisphere than OG Bandon. Totally, it's awesome. So mine is same sheep ranch at number five, um, old Mac number four, same. And this is where you and I get okay. very we're, we disagree pretty strong here. So I put. Bandon Dunes at number three. Oh, I put Pacific Dunes at number two. You're a trails number yeah. one guy, and it's not because of the ace. A lot of people say that. <laughs> <You're> a little <laughs> bias, yeah. I just think that, and and so like when people would used to ask me, "What are your favorite courses?" I, I I didn't wasn't asked usually this way, where it's like rank them five to one, but they'd say, "What's your favorite course?" If I had one round to play at Bandon. And I could never play any of them again. Which one would I either play myself or tell someone to play? I would say play Pacific Dunes. There are more cool shots, amazing views, yeah, like moments where you're like, "Holy hell, where are we?" This right is now? awesome. Pacific Dunes to me is amazing. It's a funny start too because you tee off on the first hole and you can't really see the ocean, yeah, but you can hear it and you're like, "I know it's out there." Yeah. And then you slowly get out onto the totally. course and you're like, "Oh." Yeah, and then you get to 4T, and it's just like cliff lined all the way, and you're just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, don't miss incredible. right. So Pacific Dunes, if I had one round to play, but if Bandon Dunes Golf Resort was my country club, like where I played every day, which I played way too much golf there, and so, I mean, essentially, like that was my home. Yeah. I thought that Bandon Trails to play again and again and again and again was the most fun. It was every tee shot I felt like was you stand on the tee, and you're like, well, this looks pretty cool. Like and it's different. There's, I mean, there's no two holes that are like it at any of the courses. But to me, the tee shots that you hit at Bandon Trails are all just interesting, and it's right there in front of you. A lot of them are kind of built like from the tee, and they go a little bit uphill or a little bit to where you can kind of like see the whole entire hole in front of you. Like one is an example where you can see the green if it's not foggy. Yeah, and you you can just see exactly what Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw are asking you to do. It's like you know what you need to do. And I just feel like every hole kind of fits that bill to me. The other for me about Bandon Trails is that it's a little quieter. You know, you're you're, you're off the coast, and so you're not getting beat up by the wind. I feel like the ninth green at Bandon Trails is the most peaceful, like serene place that I can ever remember being, how quiet it is back there. You can hear the wind blowing through the trees. It is just amazingly peaceful. And I just feel like from a zen moment standpoint – 
Bandon Trails is just so cool. I, I, I think Bandon Trails time. gets a bad rap sometimes. I, well, it because it's not the ocean. It's exactly. Like you're there. You're at Bandon doing stuff for you the ocean. You want to play on the beach. Yeah. But there's a perk to that, though, too, because some people go and they don't want to play it because it doesn't have ocean vistas. And so there's times, and I'm sure you probably saw this over the years, that it's a little bit slower than the other courses. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's, you get the chance to play it anytime you want. I mean, it was it was an awesome opportunity to be able to play all of them and for us to rank them. I you know, we're obviously doing a disservice <laughs> to some that aren't number 1. They're all incredible. We could do a whole pod about band just and each band and course, one course at a time. So hit us up with your definitive uh, band and dunes ranking. So as we close things up here on the uh, inaugural episode 0 of the Grip City Golf Podcast, I'll kind of throw out and I'll let you uh, top me off here about just cut. We didn't really explain what we want the podcast to sound like our expectations and all that. So a reminder that the Arnold Palmer or the Arnold Palmer, we're drinking Arnold Palmer's the <laughs> Peter Jacobson episode. Uh, if we had Arnold Palmer on, that would be really cool. We'll be out April 7th, Thursday, April 7th. That's the day that um, the uh, Masters tees off. So we're excited, you're super psyched about that. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about all sorts of, you know, Portland area golf stuff, uh, Stone Creek, all that. We're really looking forward to that. That'll be out the 7th. And I, I think kind of what we were hoping for this podcast to be was to highlight and showcase Portland area golf. And whether that be figures like Peter Jacobson, who we're, we're pumped to talk uh, to, or you know businesses that are located in the area, uh, golf courses maybe down the road, but just kind of showcasing and highlighting all things Portland golf. Like this isn't going to be a podcast where we're going to give you a preview and break down the field at the Valero Open. There's a lot of podcasts like that that are out there, and I listen to a lot of those. Uh, but we just we wanted to do hyper local, super into what your golf world is like and you as in the listeners, the courses you're playing, the people that you talk about, the businesses that you want to uh, frequent. And so that's kind of what we were hoping to accomplish with and, this. And to the, like in that same vein, like it's a like storytelling, right? Yeah. It's not a, like we will talk about some newsworthy things that come up um, like pumpkin Ridge hosting an LIV tour <laughs> event that, I mean, that needs to be talked about, but we're, we want to focus more on storytellers and that's why we wanted to talk with Peter because He's a fantastic storyteller. Not only has he been around the block a few times um, in the golf industry and professional golf, but he's a great storyteller. And so that's that's really what I would love to get the most out of from this is talking with folks who lean into conversations about golf in Portland. There is so much history here. It's it's unbelievable how many stones you could turn over for the history of golf in Portland. And it's not just golf courses. I mean, there's a lot of old courses who have host, hosted old tournaments. There was a Ryder Cup in Portland, Oregon. Some people don't know that. Which, back and that's the, such a crazy part of the I history mean, here. Like, there's so much. The history goes back so far. But as you mentioned, Dirt, like there's a lot of businesses too that are really yeah. cool that are national businesses that a lot of people know about that are here in Portland. And so to get people like that on here to talk about they're from Portland. Now they have a business that is felt by on a national basis. We think that there's people out there who would want to know more about that. I certainly do. I mean, like this isn't even like, Hey, we know a lot of stuff and we want to share it with you. We're having these guests on because we want to learn from them as totally. well. And so we hope that you guys will come along for that ride. And we're super stoked to do the next one. I mean, you sent me a couple of businesses yesterday that I had never heard of. And I start looking into them I'm like, these places are sweet, man. Yeah. Like these are awesome local businesses that you just have no clue about. Yeah. So I love the storytelling part. Uh, it's, a, it's a good addition. So we're hoping you're going to follow the journey and, and that'll do it. So episode zero, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you had any questions or critiques, comments, anything you want us to touch on in the next episode, you can always Always hit us up on Twitter at Grip City Golf. 
Eric will continue to remain anonymous. You will not know what he looks like. He'll be a mysterious figure behind the scenes. Uh, And then again, a reminder, folks, the day the Masters tees off, Peter Jacobson, episode one will be out. And I promise you, you're going to love everything about that. So thanks so much for Eric. Hey, cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Thanks for bringing in the Arnold Palmers. Cheers to the next one and the next one after that. And the next one after that. That's episode zero, the Grip City Golf Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. I hit it hard, man.